0: This is the air I breathe This is the air I breathe Your holy presence Living in me This is my day This is my daily bread This is the day the Lord hath made so let us rejoice and be glad in it. It's always a joy to come before you on these Thursday nights and I'm thankful to God for the privilege and I thank you for watching. It is my prayer that this will be a special blessing to you in terms of the message and the music. So now would you please hear the Word of God as it comes from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I'm reading from chapter 5 verse 21. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, just as Christ is head of the church, the body of which he is the Savior. Just as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in order to make her holy by cleansing her with a washing of water by the word, so as to present the church to himself in splendor, without a spot or wrinkle or anything of the kind. Yes, so that she may be holy and without blemish, in the same way husbands should love their wives as they do their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own body, but he nourishes and tenderly cares for it, just as Christ does for the church because we are members of the body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a great mystery, and I am applying it to Christ and the church. Each of you, however, should love his wife as himself, and a wife should respect her husband. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, which art our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It's been a long time since I preached on marriage, with the exception of weddings or seminars. As a preacher, I try to preach on something that's going to affect the entire congregation. And not everybody in the congregation is married, nor should they be but marriage is the basis of family life and of critical importance to the welfare of humankind in a recent Time Magazine article author Caitlin Flanagan wrote there is no single force causing as much measurable hardship and human misery in this country as the collapse of marriage in all honesty who of us can really deny that the hardships of collapsed marriages many economic, emotional, psychological, scars of rejection, lifelong insecurities, behavioral problems, role confusion and the list goes on and on and on. Not long ago after performing a marriage ceremony a young married woman raced up to me and she said I appreciated your remarks on marriage but the real question is how do you stay married? And I hope you'll address that topic sometimes. Tonight we are focusing on the crucial subject, how do you stay married? Or how do you make a good marriage better? Let's begin with our scripture. Paul says, for this reason, marriage, a man will leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, and I'm applying it to Christ and the church. Each of you, however, should love his wife as himself, and a wife should respect her husband. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, Paul is writing these words to a society that doesn't think too much of women or marriage. You see, women were held in very low esteem in Greek, Roman, and Jewish society. And as a matter of fact, the marriage bond was always at the breaking point so paul is urging people in this playboy society he's encouraging many women to a new fidelity a new purity and a new oneness in marriage so how do we stay marriage or how do we make a good marriage better this is our subject first of all to make a good marriage better the emphasis is not on control but on love sometimes the emphasis of paul's message Is missed here. It's missed very badly. Telling a sophisticated, educated, 21st century woman that the husband is the head of the wife or that she should be subject to the husband can bring about great furor, to say the least. It causes us to miss the main point of what Paul's trying to tell us here. Besides, in Christian marriage, the Christian rejection is always mutual subjection. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ, out of reverence for Christ. Hear me now. The emphasis of Paul is not on control, it's on love. What Paul is telling us here is that we ought to love our wives and husbands as Christ loved the church. We ought to love each other as Christ loved the church. So what kind of love is that? First of all, it is a sacrificial love. A sacrificial love. I think we can get to the bottom of this and understand it by thinking of the true story of Robert McQuilkin. Robert McQuilkin wanted to be the president of Columbia Bible College in Columbia, South Carolina. He adored his father and his father was the president and he wanted one day to take his place. Well his dream came true. He did in fact become the president of Columbia Bible College and he brought it to a new distinction they fulfill the responsibility of reducing young people to be missionaries around the world and including the United States and everywhere else. He did his job. But then something happened of a very serious nature. His wife developed the symptoms of Alzheimer's disease. It wasn't long before she didn't know anything about the family. She didn't recognize him as her husband. Soon Robert McWilkin made a decision. He gave up the presidency of Columbia Bible College that he felt was his calling. He gave that up as an act of love to take care of his wife. Some realist came along and said, you know, you shouldn't really do that. She doesn't know whether you're there tending to her or not. Anybody can care for her. But this is what he said. He said, she may not know who I am, but the really important thing is that I know who she is. That is sacrificial love, sacrificial love. It is also a priority love. This kind of love takes precedence over every other kind of love. Paul says, for this reason, marriage, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The Hebrew word for leave is most often identified as the word abandon. Now, don't let your imagination run wild here. God does not expect that children ever disrespect their parents. Abandon really has two meanings. First of all, primary allegiance. It means that a husband and wife no longer have primary allegiance to their parents, even though they never stop loving them. They're always respectful. But now their primary allegiance is to their mate. It also means dependence. It simply means that they're not dependent upon their parents for support, they're dependent upon each other for support. And that is a critical thing to remember. You know, I once had some friends, they met on December 23rd, 1934. Well, on January 23rd, 1935, the husband gave his wife a single rose, one rose. This became a practice. Every month on the 23rd day, he gave his wife a rose. Even during the war years when he was out of the country, he arranged for the florist to give his wife a flower every 23rd day of the month. How long did this go on? It went on 54 years until his death. A flower a month for 54 years. That is priority love. Then it's an understanding love. This minister kept referring to his wife as the better half. Somebody said, why do you keep referring to your wife as the better half? He said, so she won't think she's the whole thing. Now, this is not exactly the kind of understanding love that I'm talking about. Charles Swindoll said that he had a rush of emotion. So one day he took a piece of paper and he wrote the words, I love you, and he left it on the mirror for his wife, and he went to work. Well, when he came back in, he didn't see the sign anymore. He assumed that she saw it and just simply put it in the garbage can and went about her daily work. But three weeks later, he and his wife went on a trip in her car. And there those words were taped to the dashboard. I love you. They meant far more to his wife than anybody could have dreamed. But you got to credit Charles Swindoll for understanding how important those three little words are to a person's mate. I love you. Such an important message to a mate. It needs to be shown, but it also needs to be said. And then this love is a tangible Concrete love. You know, if love is to be understood and to bring about an impact, it has to be expressed. You know, I've been most fortunate. I am the recipient of the great tangible love of my wife. Recently, I wrote a a front-of-a-church bulletin, and I wrote a, a bulletin entitled 50 Years Overdue. It was my hope That I could express something to my wife of what she had meant to me for those 50 years with her faithfulness in all things. She's a wife, a mother, a grandmother, a confidant, a chauffeur, a cook, just about everything you can imagine. And she has been faithful and good and kind, always seeking to help me and my ministry. I have been the recipient of a tangible, concrete love, and that's what the love of Christ is to the church. And then it is an enduring love, an enduring love. You know, frequently I say to young couples that I counsel for marriage, if you walk down that aisle thinking that if this doesn't work, you can get out of it, you will. And society will reinforce that. But if you walk down that aisle thinking we're going to be together till one of us kicks out of here, you will. Why? Because you're going to work at it. The real key to lasting marriage is commitment. Commitment, accepting commitment, we should stop trying to change each other. Then there is exclusive commitment, forsaking all others. Continuing commitment, you know, our commitment is not just once and for all. We have to make this commitment every day of our lives. And then growing commitments. our commitment should never stop growing. And then anticipating commitment, what is God going to be able to do with us as a couple in the days ahead. You see, we can make a good marriage better by simply remembering that the emphasis is not on control, it is on love, on love. And then secondly, to make a good marriage better, Jesus Christ is the sure foundation. The sure foundation. Paul says, be savvy to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, we couples shall understand why we should value each other and love each other and care for one another because it's out of reverence for Christ. It's out of reverence for Christ. When a couple stands at the altar of the church, getting married, they're not just making a deal or entering into some kind of legal contract. They're in the process of becoming part of a covenant. You know, the Bible is heavy on covenants. A covenant consists of two parts. A promise and an obligation. You remember the covenant that God made with Abraham? He gave him a promise. He said, you're going to be a great name. You're going to have many offspring. And I'm sure Abraham liked that. But then he said, you also have an obligation. I want you to leave the place where you are, your family's home, your country, and go to a place where I will direct you. Now, this covenant consisted of God and Abraham, but there was also the Spirit of God in that covenant. That would guide and help abraham along when we marry one another and we make this covenant god is also a part of this covenant when we stand there we're doing something holy and divine we are thanking god for the gift and the opportunity and we're saying to god god i am going to do everything i can to have a christian marriage if you are involved in our marriage with us the late cecil miles who was one of the great preachers of the North Georgia Conference of the United Methodist Church said that marriage is like a three-legged stool. He said the first leg is preparation, the second leg is love, the third leg is God, and it takes all of these legs to make a good marriage. Frequently when I marry couples, I tell them that marriage is like a, a wagon wheel. If God is the hub and the two of you are the spokes, The closer those folks get to the hub, the closer they get to each other. Well, let me say that again. To make a good marriage better is to allow Christ to be the sure foundation. Paul said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I don't want to say, Christ in you, the hope of glory, but I say, Christ in you, the foundation of a home built on solid rock, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid in Jesus Christ. To make a good marriage better Christ is the sure foundation. And then thirdly, to make a good marriage better, the word is practical. Now, beloved, I'm not going to stand here and pretend to be an expert on marriage. I'm not. But I do know that good marriages are not attributed to luck. Or are they made in heaven? God made marriage holy, but we must make them good. Good marriages remember the practical. Jesus said, let your light so shine before humankind that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The purpose of life is what? To glorify God. The purpose of marriage is what? To glorify God. So how do we glorify God in our marriage? The first way we glorify God in our marriage is by making a commitment to permanency. The question in good marriage is not, do you love each other? That's an emotional question and you can fall out of love just as easily as you've fallen into love the question of good marriage is will you love each other will you make a commitment to love each other the second way we glorify God in our marriage is by getting rid of unrealistic role expectations for instance you're supposed to make me happy you're supposed to bring me fulfillment stay the way you are if only you could be more like me clearing away unrealistic role expectations. The third way we glorify God in our marriage is by nurturing the relationship. I say to couples when they stand at the altar, in a little while this is going to be over and you're going to breathe easier. You're going to go away, come back, what then? Rule number one, nurture the relationship. Rule number two, nurture the relationship. Rule number three, up the relationship. And if there was a four through ten, it would be the same nurture. The relationship. So how do we nurture the relationship? It is the prayers we pray together, the friends we choose together, the joys and sorrows we share together. It's writing each other into our date books. The fourth way we glorify God in our marriage is by remembering the little things. It is said that when William McKinley was president of the United States, that he loved his invalid wife more than anything. And every day on the way to work, he would stop and she would be sitting in the window. He would stop and tip his hat to her as if to say, you're not only the first lady in the United States, but you're the first lady in my life as well. Someone said, love is the most delicate flower that grows in the garden of the human heart, and it must be carefully cultivated. And it really must be carefully cultivated. The fifth way we glorify God in our marriage is by take the vitamins of a good marriage. Now listen to me, beloved. You have to take these vitamins every day. You don't just take them once in a while and thinking they're going to work. You have to take them every day if they're going to work. Vitamin number one, I love you. Vitamin number two, I need your love. Vitamin number three, I'm sorry I was wrong, will you forgive me? Vitamin number four, may I help? And vitamin number five, thank you. Thank you. The sixth way we glorify God in our marriage is by having a good sense of humor. A young husband after the honeymoon said to his wife, Dear, would you mind if I point out a few of your little faults? She said, Absolutely not. She said, Keep in mind that it was those little faults that kept me from getting a better husband. The seventh way we glorify God in our marriage is by taking the initiative. If you want your marriage to work, it's always up to you. Never up to your partner. It's always up to you. Not long ago, somebody said to me, Hal, I had to apologize to my wife and it wasn't even my fault. I said, welcome to marriage. It's whatever it takes to make it work. But it's always up to you. The eighth way we glorify God in our marriage is by having a good forgivery. Dr. Arnold Lowe said, why is it that married people won't realize they're driving each other to the intolerable by their unforgiving attitudes. Forgiveness is forgiveness. It's tying a bunch of ribbons around an old oak tree. It's a father running after a prodigal son. It's an innocent man hanging on a cross and dying to himself, dying to self. And then the ninth way we glorify God in our marriage is by keeping the triangle strong. A wise old man said, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who try to build it. Someone said, When that couple is standing at the altar, they're doing something divine. They're saying, Thank you, God, for the opportunity. Thank you for the privilege. And we all know that if you invite God to the wedding, He'll want to hang around for the marriage. If you invite God to the wedding, He'll want to hang around for the marriage. Well, It's this and all of this that will make a good marriage better. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for our marriages. We are grateful, O God, for people who put their mates first after you and who seek to live to support their mates and to be people their mates can be proud of. At the same time, we are grateful for our single people. We know that not everybody is intended to be married. So we are grateful for our single people, for their wholeness, and we ask that you would bless them as well. Thank you again for this time together. Thank you for your grace in our lives, for all good marriages, and for all good people. It's in your name, Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this broadcast tonight. I trust it's been meaningful. I trust you'll tell your friends and join us again next week. Before the throne, I stand in complete jesus died my soul to say my lips shall still